Everybody and welcome to another edition of the Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here today with Pat Avendroth. How's it going today, Pat? It's going great, Mike. Great to be with you recording. Great to be with the world that is the Pactum. Yes, I think we, I really think we do have to go with like the Pactum Nation or something. I'm kind of thinking Pactum Universe is Ooh, sounding oh, good, like the and, multiverse. Yep, universe would be good. A multiverse? Come on, what's that from? <laughs> MCU, Marvel Comics, right? I'm out of touch. I, I thought it was from John Wick or something like oh, that. Oh, I'm a fellow. Marvel nerd, kind of. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I think Pactum Universe is good, and maybe sometime if somebody goes into space with Elon Musk or something like that, they can you know post a picture with their Pactum shirt. Yes, or a Pactum hat sticker, or something like stick that. It on the side of the it spaceship. is welcome, welcome to the Pactum Universe. <laughs> we are thankful for our listeners, and we're thankful that they encourage and are also encouraged. So thank you for tuning in today. We have a special episode. We have a special guest with us. That's actually. right. And our guest has been with us at Omaha Bible Church now for 17 years. I've known him, I think, for, I, I think I told someone 30 the other day, but I think that might be... <laughs> it's pretty close. Pretty close. He's, he's already speaking, but we haven't introduced him yet. So let's have a contest right now in the Pactum. Whose voice Who was, was that? that? We could have some kind of special surprise. Our guest with us today is our resident theologian here at the church. Yep. I frequently tell people he knows more than anyone in the building, yep. uh, whether it's languages or systematics. He's got a great memory. He has a pastor's heart. Super grateful for our fellow pastor and dear friend, Chris Peterson. Welcome to the Pactum, Chris. Now you can talk. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It's uh, awful gracious of you to introduce me in this manner. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we have to ask Chris to be quiet in his office because we're, we're recording down the hall. And when Chris does Skype calls, like in India or from someone else who's not at the church helping a pastor or something like that, he is, I don't know, Chris, how would you describe yourself? You're yelling, passionate, pleading, exhorting. Preaching is what I'm sorry for preaching to you. <laughs> it's it's yeah. preaching, and it's kind yeah. of comical around here. They but, all laugh. Yep. They get it. We're, we're grateful for it. It's like Chris is speaking loud enough so that they can hear him in India. Yeah, without the technology. And that is what sure. my wife says. <laughs> oh, that's good. We should have yeah. Robin on at the same Indeed. time, and we could learn all kinds of things. Yeah. Well, Chris, we have quite the history. Do you remember the first time we met? I remember the family bookstore, what it's named or was named. Uh, the family yeah. bookstore. I think it was called the Christian Book. What was it called? There's Zondervan's. There's it, family, family bookstore. Christian there's store. No, no, it wasn't part of the Baptist chain over there, okay. Mike. Okay, sorry. But <laughs> Well, it became parables, but it used to be called the family Christian bookstore. Something like that. The, 114th and Dodge. That's what we normally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's since closed down. I yep. remember meeting you and both of your sisters or one no, of your sisters. Yeah, just one. We okay. walked in for a book for Christmas for my dad from John MacArthur. When you say John MacArthur back in... The early 90s, there's only to, a few. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. I was in between, I was getting ready to graduate from college, newly married, needed a little bit of money working at the bookstore and met you. And shortly thereafter, we were at the same church. Absolutely. So that must have been like 1992. I think 92. Okay. Yeah. And think about all the things we've done since. Yeah. Hmm. So then we, we moved to California at the same, actually together, right? Yes. My mom yeah. rode with you in your yes. truck. I had no AC, so we're... Plugging through the heat. No AC going through <laughs> Las Vegas. So and you put your hand on the window and it, it's yeah. fire. Oof. So we were together then. Uh, you actually lived with us in our apartment at first before you could go to mm, Master's College. Yeah. And then I was at Master's Seminary. You were at Master's College. 
And then if we fast forward a little bit beyond that, we, let's see, what was next? I was at the Truth Chinese Church for a while as an mm-hmm, English-speaking pastor. Mm-hmm. Then our fellow friend and elder Todd Swift was there, yeah. and then you were there. Mm-hmm. And then I came to Omaha Bible Church, and then you came to Omaha Bible Church, and it's been like 17 years. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Quite the history. This is crazy. This yeah. is really crazy. Yeah. So we have Chris on today to talk about counseling. And we talked about whether or not we should call this episode biblical Hmm. counseling, Christian counseling, what we should call it pastoral counseling, Mm -hmm. because they all carry different significances to make up a word. Significai. (laughs) Okay. So because Chris has done a fair amount of counseling over these last couple of decades, Chris, if you had to guess, we're not going to hold you to this. We we don't, we're not going to. Double check, but how? We're, we're not going to hook you up to uh, yeah. what, what do they call it? A lie detector lie machine. Detector. No. But how many people do you think you've counseled? Just a wild oh, guess. Boy. I mean, I'm going to say I probably crossed the the. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> Chris is having a meltdown. Yeah, if you I, I am. I am. <laughs> so it just depends. Yeah, right. We do group counseling. All of a sudden, you got 25, and and that's over. I mean, and then you, we go through seasons in a church ministry. So that changes, um, man. If I said five hundred, I don't, I, I don't think I'd be too far off. But it just depends on how you want to look at that. Sure. It's, well, and so many crazy. things could be under the umbrella of counseling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Something formal yeah. where you're, they would yeah. think they're being counseled. Right, and it's so, an ongoing. Right. It's not just one meeting. Yeah. Okay, that's kind of interesting. It wouldn't surprise me. How many pages do you think you've read that has something to do with counseling from a Christian pastoral kind of perspective? So That's just not even fair to ask. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it could be uh, 20,000. I don't know. It's just even for this. I just wanted to review some of my books. So I I read 1,500 pages just this weekend (laughs) for this. I just want to represent people rightly. (laughs) What hours of the night are you awake doing this, Chris? That's what a lot of people want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. They want to know. They always ask that. How many hours a night does Chris Peterson actually sleep? So what I... Let me avoid... Let me step back to the first question. (laughs) Subterfuge. Yeah. So with counseling, you get calls um, at certain times of the evening. And and generally, I'd say till about midnight, um, you can get called. Now, I've been called at three in the morning, you know, Mm. suicidal, you know, Mm. issues. Uh, but what I did is I strategized and thought, okay, most people fall asleep at around 10. So if I worked from 10 till 2.30, did my reading, the whole family's in bed. It's quiet. I can crank it out. And often Pat's on the other side. You know, So if I have something, we'll go back and forth at 11 or 12. And uh, But it's just peaceful. <laughs> he's, not, he's not lying. Yeah, I'm not lying. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just part of how it, it, it was convenient for me yeah. uh, to study. Um, the problem is, is then you don't really fall asleep because you're meditating. And so I had to learn to write things down at five, you know, when it's, wow. when it's cranking on you. So yeah. I, you, I always catch up on sleep. I just learned to do that. Yeah. And part of that, you get married at 20 years old, you have kids right away. And so you have to learn to function differently. Yep. And then habits kick in. Yep. That's counseling. true. Counseling. <laughs> so you don't do what Winston Churchill did. You, you don't work uh, half a day and then have a bath and a scotch and a cigar <laughs> and then start over because in his mind, he uh, wants to get two days into one. That, that, I know you don't do that. Yeah, I maybe, don't think that way. Maybe, maybe coffee uh, or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I but. try to get you know, 48 hours into 24. <laughs> See? It's just another way of trying to be, yeah, right. trying to be Churchill. Yep. 
So right. how did we get off on that far rabbit trail? Oh, because Chris is a big reader. Yeah. Uh, he's working yeah. on his doctorate right now, so yeah. doing lots of reading for your next class, mm-hmm. heading to Hotlando uh, this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about what you're studying, where you're studying, who you're studying under, what you're trying to accomplish there. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, as you're in ministry for you know, 20 years, if you count the uh, Truth Chinese Alliance Church, uh, you're, you're trying to put things together um, as far as how to uh, minister and, and where's the proper place. So you're looking at all these different Christian um, counseling systems. And it, I kept running into a wall when I'm dealing with people's lives. Um, so that's led to really anchoring myself in Reformed theology and then beginning to ask the question, uh, wh- where, did, where did we go off? Um, and so my heart's been to go back to what's been called classic pastoral counseling, mm-hmm. um, back to just the old-fashioned preach the gospel, minister the Word of God, uh, don't chase people. You know, you're, you're praying uh, for their hearts. You're, you're relying upon the Holy Spirit to work in their heart and life, to open their heart. And then the priority of preaching, uh, the priority, and I mean preaching corporate worship. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in, in the counseling meetings, you're opening the Word of God with them. Um, so there's a level of um, the principle of preaching that may happen there. Uh, but I mean corporate worship and the preaching in the fel- with the fellowship of the saints. And then the Lord's Supper and baptism and the priority of that. And then let's add church discipline. Mm. Uh, that's a priority. It was a priority to the Reformers, uh, to Calvin in particular. Um, and, and what I started to think through is why don't we take that model and work that out in our uh, counseling model? And so that led me to think through, well, where would I want to go to really anchor myself in Reformed theology. And the first class was with Fesco. So, okay, so first class yep. is with yep. Fesco. Um, that's John Fesco, J.V. Fesco. So yep. we've promoted some of his books before. Yep. Yep. And your first class you've already done, but yes. you're, you're yes. studying under him and you're doing classes through RTS? Yes, that's correct. So different campuses, not yep. just one campus? Yep. Okay, good, that's yep. helpful. All right, so then this summer, what classes or class are you going to take? Yeah, it's Dr. Uh, Swain, Attributes of God. So, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Awesome. So picking back up on the matter of what works, what doesn't mm-hmm, work, mm-hmm. what have you found to be, what, what are things you've tried? What, appro- what kind of approaches <laughs> have you tried that haven't worked? And I'm not asking you to throw sure. anything under the oh, yeah, bus or absolutely. anyone under the bus, but you've been doing yeah. this for a long time. Uh, I know you've succeeded and failed mm-hmm. uh, many times, time and time again. What's worked? What hasn't worked? What's leading you down perhaps a different kind of road? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, and, and I re- respect those who have influenced me. And, and Jay Adams is the tradition that I definitely was influenced um, by with his uh, counseling method. More of a behavioral approach. Uh, a lot of homework. Um, obviously, we're trying to find uh, Christian behaviors in Scripture and to work that out in people's lives through um, a process of, of change uh, through thinking and behavior. Uh, what I found is uh, in giving homework, they would show up and the husband and wife would uh, hold each other uh, to the standard of the homework. You didn't do it as well as I did. Mm. And it just became a, uh, a yelling seminar. And I, I realized that I was a ref. Mm. I, was a, I was somebody there to blow the whistle on them and to basically give credits for how well they did the homework. Hmm. Um, so two responses. Um, it, one was despair for the one who lost. Uh, and then pride, self-righteousness for the one who thought they succeeded. Um, and you're saying this went, this was, this was a pattern. This was Yeah, a, this is an ongoing pattern yeah. over and over and over again. Okay. Yep. And then I began to see it. This is fascinating. I began to see it in my life. Hmm. I began to see uh, despair, 
when it, the uh, homework didn't work, uh, or if it did work um, and it seemed to be successful, pride. I thought mm. this is interesting, and this is what obviously leads us to the Reformed theology, to guilt, grace, gratitude. Mm. Um, so I began to think through how should homework be used? Is it really that we're just dumping out, we're just getting rid of uh, law and commands mm-hmm. and principles? Are we just throwing that out? Or does it have a, a, a proper place, a proper context that needs to be used appropriately? So that's where my, my eyes started opening to the Heidelberg, the usage of that in the commentaries um, that have been written on the Heidelberg Guilt, grace, gratitude, first and third use of the law, particularly mm-hmm. um, the priority of the gospel for motivating change in a Christian's life. Yeah, that's a that's another world to talk about, but hopefully that answers that question. So you're going to pursue your doctorate in one in one way or another. It's going to be related to these sorts yes. of things. Yep. So how? It, go ahead. Related to, to if you really want it, it's how does the covenant of works uh, that principle um, that's carried on the heart. And what we call the law of works, if you want to use more biblical language um, versus um, theological language, how does how that fleshed out in people's lives? And you can look at Ro- Romans 7 as a case study. The law that promised life proved to be death. And my question is, um, that I'd like to work through with this program, is how does that covenant of works, how does that law of works, um, how does it function on the heart as we try to obey, and when we fail, we um, use penance or, or models of punishment to others and myself, that bitterness, that, that flesh, as Galatians talks about, rooted in that heart. How does it manifest it? And how does, um, if we want to use theological categories of covenant of grace, how does uh, the gospel tend to that to produce uh, fruit out of gratitude, guilt, grace, gratitude? Mm. So that, that's my heartbeat. So you're you're speaking in terms of not just we're not talking about unbelievers we're talking about professing believers right still dealing with these very same Absolutely. issues okay good yep. interesting so Chris you mentioned Jay Adams just a minute ago and uh, from your perspective you know how has God used Jay Adams in a good way and in a way to encourage and edify uh, but maybe some shortcomings from your perspective on Jay Adams yeah it's f- fascinating if I could back into it um, just a little bit there's a, there's a really helpful resource. A uh, History of Pastoral Care in America, From Salvation to Self-Realization. It's by Brooks Holyfield. That's helpful to trace. The... He, he was not, not the boxer. He wasn't a boxer. <laughs> no, yes, not the, <laughs> the boxer. But it is helpful to look at how pastoral counseling uh, from England, the Puritans, well, actually back to the Reformation, Reformed the, uh, theologians, how that changed from um, a, a gospel-centered approach, if we could use that term, uh, to uh, self-realization. Mm. So all that to say is... Uh, what, do you, what do you mean by self-realization? Focused, focused on self-esteem, self-love, finding okay, my okay, identity. It. It's, it's, uh, the, the counselor is drawing out of the person um, their real self-identity, which obviously has some issues with uh, fallenness and so forth. But um, in that book, you'll notice the influence of men like Carl Rogers that um, was a uh, Protestant liberal and his influence, even through uh, the Southern Baptists, I won't name the particular school, but he had a huge influence. And that spread. It affected uh, pastors uh, of many walks of life. Um, so all that to say is you get now all these systems, whether it's Freud or Skinner, uh, Rogerian systems, uh, Adler, that's all merging into pastoral counseling. And so that's the scene that, that Jay Adams steps into, the context that he's stepping into, to, in a sense, to, to save pastoral counseling from 
the influence of uh, secular psychology that has mm. been merged, integrated, is the fancy term, uh, with uh, pastoral counseling. So he's trying to bring it back to Scripture. He's trying to give pastors uh, a solution uh, when, when the church is getting washed out. Mm. Um, the, 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 the tail that's wagging the dog, so to speak, becomes uh, this biblical counseling slash psychology. Mm. So that's, that's the positive. Um, but at the same time, there are men that play a part in his life. Um, Orville Maurer was a huge influence. He, he's a, he was a secular uh, behavioral therapist. Um, Jay Adams was able to walk alongside of him. I think it might have been six months. You'll get this from the biblical counseling movement from uh, David Powelson. He did his PhD work on the biblical counseling movement, Jay Adams. And so he walks through the influence of Maurer on Adams. And he was just impressed. Uh, Maurer was pushing back on um, Freud's thinking. And he was actually in his, uh, I would call it a lab, where he was working with mental patients. He was showing that you could use basic rewards and consequences. Uh, they called it dehabitulation and rehabitulation, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's to take the habits and to retrain the habits to rewards and consequences. And he was seeing all kinds of success. Uh, but what and I like to call that a parenting method. If we mm-hmm, just use yeah. rewards and consequences, just common sense, common right, wisdom, right? right? But what Adams realized was there's no redemption in that model. And Maurer went off to kill himself. Eventually, committed suicide. Mm. There is no redemption in that model. Mm. But he was fascinated by that, and he wanted to take a Christian approach. Uh, and so you're familiar with putting off and putting on. That's that same model of working through a habitual training. But he did want to do it with the gospel at, at its core. He wanted to make sure he preached the gospel, and it was um, for believers to encourage them. It's fascinating that it wasn't that he threw out the place of uh, psychology and um, psychotherapy, and um, he, he just wanted them to stay on their turf. What he wanted was that they focused on the uh, habits, the, the behavioral sciences, that they looked at the what is going on, but they leave the, the why to the pastor. The pastor's responsibility, he felt, was to deal with the, the ought, the shoulds, mm. which can only come from God's word. So for him, a pastor, or the psychological movement that was going on around him could be used for consequences. If somebody, uh, even as a Christian, um, is being turned over to their sin, he felt that there was a place for mental institutions. Um, as long as they didn't encroach upon the pastoral. See, he's trying to shield off the pastoral ministry with the law and the gospel. Uh, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's good. I, I think um, what ends up happening, though, is he was, Van Til finds his way in many of these things. He tried to build a, a biblical counseling model on Van Til's antithesis. Um, but uh, that, that has its bearings, too. Because later on, you, as you're trying to deal with new terms that uh, psychology um, and therapy are uh, using to describe human behavior, what does the Christian uh, counselor, the pastoral counselor, do with that when the patient or counselee, um, and we have to ask whether that be appropriate, even in the setting of a church, to even think that way uh, with the preaching of the gospel. But someone comes in as a counselee, and they come in with all these terms, these labels, uh, that the psychologist has given them. What does the Christian or the pastoral counselor do with that? Mm. And so there's a tendency to try to find the Christian approach, the Christian label, which it just ends up replacing the secular label with the Christian label. Um, those are some of the dangers. And so you see uh, Adams, if you, if you will, his children, some have called him his warrior children. Uh, mm. You know that would come from. <laughs> um, but taking it to another extreme where we try to have a Christian psychological approach. Uh, Eric Johnson would be its foundations of uh, soul care, 
would reflect that. Uh, David Powelson uh, saw more of a, a soft uh, integration. Uh, those are buzzwords. I understand that he would actually call it um, a comprehensive biblical view that we can we can use the behaviors that uh, psychology uh, observes, but we want to have an underlining Christian approach. So maybe that's that would be a, a good way to to look at Adams. But again, that left me with dealing with behaviors. And how do, how do I use commands and principles of Scripture to deal with behavior? So, Chris, this is not tied to Adams per se, but mm-hmm. I've been taught by and influenced by some of Adams' ch- children, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And oftentimes what they end up promoting, it, it seemed to me, and it seems to me like they don't have a category for natural law because somehow the right. Bible has an answer for everything. Mm-hmm. And while we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, we don't think that what is meant by that is the Bible has an answer for everything. Uh, It tells us about eternal life and how to live godly, but God is in charge of all revelation, not only special revelation, but Mm -hmm. natural revelation. Both are important. Can you give some feedback to that? Talk about natural law a little bit as it would relate to helping people, maybe as it ties to the children of Adams. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. And I like to say that well, I, I would call myself a Vantilian, so there's, and I, I, I view that, I would say that because of his... Mike has con- a van. Connection, yes. <laughs> yes, you do Mini have to put a, a label on your van. Vantil. <laughs> <laughs> but I do look through the lens of Voss to interpret Vantil. What I often see, though, is uh, Bart's influence in a lot of the, if I could call him Neo-Vantilian, that's probably not very nice. Nobody would accept that statement. But Bart had a very strong antithesis between uh, creation and redemption and reason and special revelation. We're not fans like, of Bart here on yes. the Pactum, just for clarity's sake. <laughs> they don't touch. Absolutely. So I, as I just, and again, I'm not ultimately a historian here, but just by reading a lot, you just find the encroachment of that kind of thinking uh, into all kinds of movements, whether it's apologetics or, in this case, the biblical counseling movement. And Bart is going to be anti-general revelation? Yes, yeah. And C.S. Lewis did actually a response to to Bart. um trying to argue for natural uh, law um, and the light of nature. But yes, the place of the light of nature or uh, natural law or general revelation or common grace, those are different aspects uh, describing um, God's work uh, in creation. But if you just go back to the London Baptist Confession of Faith, I think it really lays out for us a couple of helpful principles. I've got it before me because I was prepared for this question. Um, because he read a thousand pages yeah, to right. repair yeah. it on the episode. Thousand. No big uh-huh. deal. Yep, yep. <laughs> So we have the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. So there we have uh, Scripture, special revelation, and it's particularly tied to um, to give the knowledge of God and His will, which is necessary unto salvation. So our, the famous passage that's quoted is Peter, where he talks about uh, the knowledge of um, He's given us all things for life and godliness through mm-hmm. the knowledge of His will. And so the question is, well, what is the knowledge of God and, and Christ Jesus? Is that uh, the Bible specifically? Is that include general revelation? Um, well, if you look at the context, uh, Peter warns against losing sight of the gospel that brought cleansing to us. I actually take it that he's focused on the things that are unto salvation uh, there and would focus the, all things for life and godliness in that way. And I think that's what our London Baptist Confession is getting at. It's that which is necessary unto salvation. But it's fascinating in one, one chapter 1, uh, paragraph 1, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. 
So there they underline the place of the light of nature. Even insofar as as one um, six is going to talk about church government, because when we deal even with how do you uh, deal with the order of the church, uh, particularly choosing carpet, right, or choosing mm-hmm. colors, or do you do Sunday schools and what age groups? The, the scriptures doesn't provide uh, exact prescription on that, and so even the London Baptist Confession of Faith uh, is acknowledging a place for um, the light of nature, and it connects it to the light of nature. Uh, in light of Christian prudence, common wisdom. Um, it, it connects to uh, common to human actions in society. So that's uh, common grace, uh, common kingdom kind of talk. So we find the light of nature can even be used in the church uh, to decide what, what kind of uh, color of the carpet is appropriate or what Sunday school classes that we should have or not have. Um, because it's not unto salvation. So then how does that relate to... Having a place for, a category for natural law, common mm-hmm. grace, revelation, as it would relate to counseling, as it yep. would relate to helping people yep. to, to deal with their problems. Yeah, that, that, that's what fa- is fascinating. So it, Scripture, as it lays out uh, principles and commands unto salvation, those are the things that I want to, if you will, bind people's consciences with. And what it is silent on, and that's something that is noted in chapter 21, uh, paragraph 2. He talks about uh, God alone is Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or not contained in it. So it's old verbiage that was used. The things that the scripture is silent on, uh, there's freedom. It's not unto salvation. It's not unto justification. There's freedom to, to be able to draw principles from uh, natural law, from the light of nature, from common wisdom, um, to specifically uh, deal with behavior of people's lives. So it's one thing, if, if you will, to step back and to talk about uh, how husbands and wives should function generally, mm-hmm. but then to, to detail, here's how you need to talk to one another. Here's this piece of paper, and you need to say this, and then you need to say this. The Bible doesn't speak to that. There's a place for common wisdom and discipleship. That's light of nature. Uh, you're, you're looking at people's lives on a general basis. How do they function? How do they do well? And we're able to share that with one another. But to bind people's consciences and to create a biblical category uh, for exact behavior. Uh, it's fascinating, one of the, the jokes that was made uh, between uh, John Whitgift, who was uh, middle to late 1500s, um, and uh, Thomas Kramer, who, again, middle to late 1500s. The question of how do you deal with the unnecessary things, the adiaphora, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Adiaphora. Adiaphora, there you go. Adiaphora. I always go on the back end, and some go on the front end, yeah. Uh, how do you say that, Pat? Uh, pronouncing your syllable or emphasis on the right syllable. That's yeah, awesome. So, audiophora. John Whitgift, uh, he was a conformist, and he would say, "Well, if the Bible doesn't speak to it, then the government needs to have even to, to dictate to the church what its ceremonies should look mm. like." But he was pushing back on Thomas Kramer, who was the the precisionist. That's the term used of a biblicist okay. who believed that they had to find something in the Bible for everything you do. And mm. it's that uh, that created the Christian freedom. As long as the Bible covered it, then I'm free to obey the Bible and not obey uh, governing authorities. So where I'm going is John Whitgift made fun of Kramer and said, so give me the biblical passage for picking up a straw. You have that. Because that's what they were saying is that everything in your life has to be dictated by a Bible verse. And mm. so it just led to stretching Scripture way beyond its purpose uh, unto salvation to try to create uh, categories for every single thing that you did. So you would agree that the Bible does not address absolutely everything in life. 
No. Which sounds it, heretical to yeah. our kind of fundamentalist, biblicist yep. kind of ears. Right. But it really is important because otherwise you don't have categories right. like freedom, freedom Absolutely. of conscience. Freedom of conscience. And safeguarded. In addition, it kind of it ends up making you the counselor slash pastor, kind of the the Holy Spirit yep. to tell them what to well, do. Well, that's about what everything. happens. So, hence the three o'clock in the morning phone calls. Right. You yeah. need you need something for everything. Yeah. It turned me into a life coach. Uh, so you're a life it coach. trained me. So so right. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. T- talk about that. Talk about the life coach thing. And I even want to maybe have you tell people why it might be good to have a life coach. Sure. Well, who's, who's not the pastor? Right. Yeah. Well, so, so stepping back, what, what is the scripture's purpose? What's well, unto salvation, but it also, and I would agree with David Pallison on this one, that it gives us a comprehensive lens. Uh, some have called it uh, a map, and the map doesn't provide every um, uh, contour of topography, right? It's the big picture. And so it, it contextualizes. Um, uh, Proverbs is fascinating. Uh, it'll, it'll trouble uh, the, the young believer or those who are looking at uh, at Christianity, because you'll find that much of that wisdom is actually drawn from the ancient Near East. But what Proverbs is doing is contextualizing it. It's giving the big lens. It's giving the big interpretive lens. And so I would suggest that that's the way that Scripture intends for us to look at life. Um, it actually, natural law, if you will, is embedded in Scripture, and Scripture gives the big picture interpretation. Uh, so, for instance, Paul can, can draw from um, pastoral ministry and being cared for financially in light of the oxen and being cared for. He's drawing a principle. Yes, it comes out of the Old Testament, but even there, there's a, a natural law principle in taking care of the workers. That even uh, unbelievers could observe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you find encased in wisdom uh, literature, uh, not just in Israel. Uh, or or uh, 1 Corinthians 11, talking about it, natural of, uh, for a man to have long hair. That's a question that he asked, but he's looking at, at nature, just general principles. So it's helpful to understand the Bible speaks broadly, comprehensively uh, to all these things. It's not that it, it doesn't deal with it at all. It looks at, it deals with God's character. It deals with the fall. It deals with creation. So we're made in God's image. It deals with redemption. Uh, and then from there, um, it gives us the big, big picture lens. And we love to say, right, with creation, fall, um, and then we have uh, redemption and we have glorification. Those are the four categories that we love to look through as the big picture roadmap, if you will, of Scripture. So in light of that, then, we uh, recognize that God's law, the work of the law, Romans 2, is written on the heart. What's fascinating there is then Paul says we, we actually are without excuse, as the London Baptist Confession said. It leaves men inexcusable. So the big question is uh, that it comes down to what Jay Adams wrestled with. Um, because he understood common grace. The issue is this, does the unbeliever mind have the ability to rightly interpret natural law? And can the believer join the unbeliever in rightly interpreting natural law? That's the issue. So the question is, if, if they're left inexcusable, that assumes that there's a, a right interpretation. But as we love to say, we qualify that. It's not unto the glory of God. It's not through Christ. Mm-hmm. But it's enough that, it, well, I have to say it's a hardware that is a true hardware, but the unbeliever works to suppress that morally and to push it down. So they don't give God glory for it, but that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean. They can't, that doesn't mean they can't draw right conclusions. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And they're image bearers, right. and we don't believe, like some, that the yeah. image is completely, gone. yeah, eradicated. No, right? it's, it's yes. still there. There's, it's marred, but not yeah. eradicated. Yeah. If you and, don't have that, then if sorry, yeah, if you don't have that, then how do you deal with the excuse issue of Romans one? And then Romans two really fleshes that out. And when you uh, Romans two says that when you judge others, you condemn yourself because you practice the same thing. So what happens is you have this this hardware of God's law written on the heart, 
and you use it to judge others. So it shows you, you understand it rightly. But then when you look at yourself because of the sinful depravity, corruption, and blindness, you then justify yourself. So there's two levels going on there that we, we miss. We either, we tend to collapse those two. Uh, either they have, um, more of a, a semi or Pelagian view, I guess, where we're, where the image is perfect, right? And then it's distorted later on through uh, the influences of others. Um, or you have uh, this view where um, in, in light of the, the image, uh, the unbeliever can't know anything truly. So we end up collapsing all of these things rather than recognizing a good reform view is you have the image aspect and it has the law written on the heart and that's good and it appropriately uh, judges others. But there is a moral a suppression that happens because of sin. And so we push that down. We justify ourselves. We blame shift. Right? We start seeing that in counseling big time and justify ourselves. So those two levels are going on at the same time. Reformed theology loves to draw attention to that. So, Chris, what I want to know, uh, to pick up on what you were just talking about, I want to know how, so we can learn from unbelievers, even when it comes to helping people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because they're image bearers yep. still. That's uh, a key. And because image. of common grace, mm-hmm. because of general revelation that's knowable, even though it's yes. not saving. Right. So that's that for me. That's different than the way I used to think about biblical counseling. I I thought, well, Christians are the only ones who have the answers, right. uh, and so which is that Bardian strong antithesis. Okay, so yep. th- that's helpful to know. So I I feel. I don't know. I, I'll tell you about my feelings. Yeah. I, I, I feel my truth. Get on the so, But it's, I can be honest now because the unbelievers actually do some pretty mm-hmm. great things, yes. even though they don't give God glory. Absolutely. And they have a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then we also move into, when, in the counseling area, into medical professionals and yes. doctors. And again, I'm not going to blame anyone, but my, I kind of had a an opposition perspective where like they didn't even know things about people and they couldn't help people because only I could, because only I have the Bible Mm. and it's hard to live consistently that way. Right. Yeah. It's really hard to live consistently that way. Absolutely. We, we have a mutual friend who's a medical doctor and who's a member here at the church. And, you know, I asked him in a class one time, did, did you learn how to practice medicine? Were all of your professors believers? (laughs) And he said, of course not. I don't know if any of them were, hmm. and yet he still is a successful medical doctor. He learned this from unbelievers who mm-hmm. observe God's creation and draw good conclusions. They don't give God glory, but he does. Then I asked him if he were the best medical doctor in our city, and he said, no, unbelievers can be better than me. And if I were the best medical doctor, I would probably be divorced and have no family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need to have balance. Mm-hmm. So I like what you bring up, Chris. It's hard to live consistently yeah, it is. with a weird, fundamentalist, crazy kind of view of the sufficiency of Scripture that the Reformers did not right. affirm, did not promote. Right. It's not actually biblical. Yep. So with that in mind, let's, let's progress and move forward lest we be here all hmm. day. Yeah. Have we <laughs> sort of, the counseling method yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like marching with Machen, we'll do counseling with Christopher or yes. something there like you that. Go. There we'll you do go. a whole series sometime. <laughs> but yes. we won't do it today. But I know... We, we've even received messages here on the Pactum from people mm-hmm. who want to hear of some good resources to read, to understand pros and cons of different movements. So I want you to talk about resources. Sure. sure. And then also, and finally, I want you to talk to people about how, how is it that we do change? What, what's the biblical approach yep, yep. to dealing with sin, overcoming temptation? So first, let's talk about resources. Okay, for sure. Uh, so again, 
because we do uh, hold to a light of nature uh, and understand that in light of God's, God's common grace, there are wonderful things that people produce. Uh, one thing about fundamentalism that is very difficult, this super strong sacred secular, is we even ramp that up into having our particular Christian sphere that is more biblical than another uh, Christian arena. Uh, so th- there's a difficulty with listening to others uh, in, a, in a different camp. Can I read Luther? You know, um, Can I read anyone from the, the Brethren movement? Uh, does it have to be just R.C. Sproul and MacArthur? And we, we have our little camps, and then that's all we listen to. Um, one thing, when I, when I mention these books, it's just helpful to realize, it doesn't mean we have to buy the entire system, but it's, it's helpful to know where these things are going. If I say, well, Eric Johnson is helpful to listen to in light of the foundation of soul care, it doesn't mean that I'm embracing Christian psychology. Um, but it may mean that it's just helpful to be aware of the systems that are out there, how he's processed it, how he's looked through the church, early church fathers, Augustine, and so forth. Uh, so I would say you probably should read that. You so know, just what, to be aware. what's the book called by him? Uh, the, uh, Foundations of Soul Care. Okay. Yeah, Eric Johnson. Good. It's a big tome. It's about 600 or so pages before you get to the appendix. But it's, it's good biblical th- uh, theology. Um, it, it's, he loves Van Til. He loves Augustine, uh, Tertullian. I mean, he's, he's well-read. And, and so I think he's very helpful, but it doesn't mean that the Christian psychological approach is the approach I want for the church, which begs the question, what is the approach for the church, and is there a place for Christian institutions? That's, that's another uh, question. But uh, another one um, I would throw out here is the, the Care of Souls, Cultivating a Pastor's Heart by Harold uh, Sinkbell, and I don't know exactly if it's Sinkbell or Sinkbell. I think it's Sinkbell. Helpful. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's Lutheran. Right, so there are uh, some sacramentology, if I could use that term, that we're not going to be comfortable with. But I'll tell you, guilt, grace, gratitude, law and gospel, common sense pastoral ministry. Um, he's, he's older. He, he's walked in uh, the, the soul care, uh, pastoral soul care model for years. Um, super encouraging. Uh, Dennis Johnson uh, has contributed counsel from the cross. We like Dennis Johnson yeah. on the Pactum. So now we're getting closer to things that we're, we're comfortable with, right. that I don't have to... Uh, filter out, yeah. so to speak. But I do want to pay attention. Uh, another one, Thomas Odin has contributed classic pastoral care. I, again, I'm I'm not with Odin here. Um, at the same time, it is helpful that he is drawing attention to how did pastors counsel, uh, how did they minister the gospel, uh, the first uh, 500 years of the of the church. Um, it's helpful to pay attention to those things. Uh, what was helpful to me was reading Walter Marshall's Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. Uh, he offered uh, this phrase, uh, walking in the, the way of salvation versus by the way of salvation, that believers walk in the way. Uh, they're conformed to God's character, but it's not by the way that they're getting to heaven. Um, and he's pushing back on, because I walk in this way, heaven's opened up. And he's pushing back on Baxter because Absolutely. he grew up on Baxter, Baxterian, Baxterian kind of theology. Those, those Baxterians, as <laughs> Benjamin Keats like to say. And there's a, new, there's a new edition of that book that just came out, so we just yep. ordered a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Craig Troxell just brought out um, his recent work. It, it feels recent to me because I've just recently read it the last couple of years. With all your heart, orienting your mind, will, and desires to Christ. It takes the threefold office of Christ and reflects that in image bearing, uh, the threefold office of, of our soul, if you will, our being, our heart. Uh, it's just fascinating. And then applying the gospel uh, to the need of the heart. Um, so some helpful resources to get somebody, somebody started. 
I think suffering's a helpful one. David Powelson, God's grace in your sufferings. You're just watching the gospel uh, be applied. Super. But, All right. So then yeah. in wrapping things up, when somebody's discouraged, they're dealing with sin, they're trying to improve, they're trying to live a Christ-honoring life, what, what's the 30,000-foot approach when you're trying to help somebody? What do, you, what do you say? What do you do? Yeah, well, remember Romans sixteen twenty five. And now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So there's the priority. We're strengthened by the good news, the gospel of Christ. I, I want to keep that in mind. Um, and it, it's fascinating when we think through guilt, grace, gratitude, how helpful that is. There's um, one, um, I believe it was a Lutheran that said, that we don't divide the word rightly when we take the law and we uh, crush people who are already terrorized by their sin. And we don't do it rightly when we apply the gospel to those who are not afraid of their sin. Hmm. Um, in fact, you just flip that, right? We want to take the law and apply it to those who are comfortable. We've used those terms before. And we want to bring the gospel to those who are uncomfortable. Hmm. Because, again, what we're doing is the, the law, first use of the law is showing God's demand. And it's God's command in uh, precept and principle, um, his, his ordinances. And well, the response out of that is, is guilt would, would have us, um, the Spirit of God working in our heart through conviction, through his word, is, is bringing that failure, that despair, that hopelessness, um, that transgression to bear, realizing that we're disobedient creatures. So we see that in light of the, our holy God. And then uh, the grace is the provision of the gospel uh, to those who feel their sin, who, who feel their misery and their guilt. And so I want to apply the gospel, um, to, to preach the gospel to those who uh, see their sin and see their need for Christ. And what the gospel then, and this often deals with the heartbeat of the issue that nobody's really willing to talk about, is what's the place of obedience. And really what we're trying to get at, um, they may charge us with antinomianism with some of the books that I, I suggest, um, counsel from the cross, or at least Fitzpatrick said, give them grace or uh, because he loves me. But the issue is the motive. What's the motive of obedience? We're not saying that there's not obedience. Uh, there is. It's the third use of the law. We love the law. We delight in it. it. It tutors us. It shows us God's way, God's walk, God's character. Uh, but what we're talking about is the motive here. Um, so we, some account, a counselee comes in or a, a member of the church comes in. Let's use that appropriate language in light of pastoral care. And they're troubled by their guilt. That maybe they're prideful and they need the law to crush uh, the heart. Uh, or they're in uh, complete despair. Um, we show them the law's demands. Um, oftentimes, we don't see the holiness of God as it should be through the law. And so despair be can become a way to even hide behind, oh, I can't do it. I'm a failure. Um, if somehow you could help me do it. So even there, we're going to apply the, the law um, graciously still with a gracious disposition. And my goal then is to show that Christ alone is the, the law keeper and his obedience and his payment on the cross, his resurrection and his ascension to drive the member to, to look to Jesus Christ and to rest in him by faith. Now that freedom of knowing that we're not outside the house, so to speak, I'm gonna use a metaphor here, because a lot of times we fall into that trap um, of forgetting the gospel. We have a mindset of being outside of the family and God is displeased with me and he's punishing me. Um, rather than the gospel promises that we're in the family. And so the law takes that third use of the law. It's a loving relationship. We have chores in the family um, to, to help me grow, to, to discipline me, right? Natural-like concepts. 
um, to encourage me, to, to conform me to the family. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be thrown out of the house, right? So we recognize that the gospel means I'm in the house. He loves me. He's for me. Hebrews 12 says he's training me. He's, he's disciplining me unto godliness. It's not a threat. I'm not underneath Mount uh, Sinai. I'm underneath Mount Zion where God comes down for me. I'm not trying to go up to God to have him open the, the heavenly um, uh, throne uh, to me. So it's recognizing where I'm at and resting in that. And then I want to obey out of gratitude and love. I'm throwing a lot at you, a lot of metaphors that I use as I'm going sitting there uh, working with somebody. So listener, you can go to episode two where we talked about law and gospel and it would be helpful. So there's just a cross-reference yeah. here. What, Chris, where do you think most people, this is, this is generalizing. So just out of curiosity and maybe, well, curiosity killed the cat, right? Sure. Curiously, <laughs> uh, do yeah. most people understand the gospel and have that settled that you try to help and they just need more third use of the law or is it more common to have it be otherwise? Gospels for unbelievers. That's the mentality. The mentality is. You're That's not saying mentality. that. You're nope. saying that typically That's people think gospels for unbelievers. I want yep. to pause there and just let that sink in because that's the mentality. It, it, this idea of Romans 16, to strengthen you according to my gospel, that's foreign. Which complements chapter one. He writes to the right. saints because he wants to come preach the gospel to them. Right, absolutely. So spouse, spouses walk in, they're going to take the law and they're going to sit there and beat each other up with yeah. it. And then it's pride and despair before God because we're image bearers, so we're going to reflect how we think our relationship is with God. And so what I have to do is to show them the demands of God. In fact, I might even use Ephesians, a requirement um, to, to love one another, to um, serve one another, to, to show that inability and to drive them to Christ and to literally say things like this, you know, actually Christ did it perfectly. Christ, uh, someone may be dealing with anxiety. You know, the first place to start is remember that Christ here actually came here to this earth uh, to trust his Father. And that is the righteousness that you need to stand in. Hmm. And when we begin to recognize that it's Christ that's done that for me, now I can rest in that grace for my own life. And then that can translate as a motive, as the, a gracious motive uh, out of love, out of delight, out of joy, out of thanksgiving for one another. Which is the grat- gratitude Yeah, the portion. gratitude portion. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So there is obedience, but it yep. comes out of gratitude. Absolutely. Gospel grounded, but you will be accused of being antinomian. Absolutely. Yep. yep. We will be. Yep. Good company. Yep. Romans chapter six, right? Yep. Absolutely. Right. And now the question is, well, what if one spouse gets it and the other spouse doesn't? Well, it's just an opportunity. Again, reminding ourselves that God uses suffering and hardship to grow us because he loves us. He's training us as his children, Hebrews 12, because we're under Mount Zion, not Sinai. Uh, and therefore, I can continue to love and to serve. But where's law in all this? Mm. Right? It's, well, I'm just going to let them beat me up. Well, we're going to go back to, to guilt, grace, gratitude models again yeah. through all this. It's just this ongoing cycle over and over again of guilt, grace, gratitude, guilt, grace, gratitude. Yep. And, and frankly, I, in a lot of my sessions, I just open up the Heidelberg and let's just start walking through the, the priorities of guilt, grace, gratitude. So that, if you will, it becomes the hardware. See, that's the part of the problem. It, becomes, it needs to become the hardware of our lives. And that has to be caught. You can sit there and teach that all you want, mm. but you've got to be immersed in that. Mm. And so how is that immersed? Through the preaching of the gospel on Sundays and corporate worship, through the visible uh, testaments of the gospel and the Lord's Supper and uh, baptism and the fellowship of the saints around the preaching of the word. This is an immersion that needs to happen to be impressed with Jesus Christ. You were reading my mind. Chris is a gifted mind reader because I was going <laughs> to say, what role does, does, does the church play yeah, in right, this in yeah. corporate worship? And it is hard to help people get this because for whatever reason, we're wired to be 
Pelagian. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it, it's, a, it's, a whole, it's, it's a holistic approach. Yeah. Well, <laughs> comprehensive. And that's what right? Paulson loved to say. Yeah. We're, we're talking about church life. We're talking about yes. preaching. We're talking about classes. We're talking about children's classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what we're, we're all about this as a yep. church holistically, not just when it comes to counseling. Yeah. Let, let me give you a, just a quick example from, I'll sneak a peek at the passage from Psalm 66 I want to teach this Sunday. At the very end, it says, if I hide iniquity in my heart, God does not hear. Just think about that for a moment. If I have iniquity in my heart, God does not hear. And then he says, but God has heard. Praise be to God. And he glories. How do you deal with that? We have wickedness in our heart. Well, we talk about the unbeliever. Well, does God hear him in a saving way with wickedness in the heart? Well, we'd say, well, no, apart from Jesus Christ. Well, what about me? Do I struggle with sin? Well, then he, he must not hear. But then how can David say, praise God, he has heard? Well, that brings us to grace, right? Our failure to know that I'm, I'm, I have wickedness in my heart. Uh, and therefore, uh, does God hear me? That's the question. I'm condemned. But then Christ is the one who had no wickedness in his heart. And was he heard on our behalf? Absolutely, he was heard. The resurrection is a testament to that. So we can rest in that. And resting in that, I know that Christ is my substitute. He hears my prayers. It doesn't actually deal with it. We have to open up. Psalm 66 doesn't give us the answer. It's just the whole testament of scripture is applying the guilt, grace, gratitude model so that I can come to that conclusion through the leading of scripture and I can say, he has heard. Mm. And I can praise him for that because of Christ. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Amen. Awesome. It's been great having you, Chris, on the show today. We're grateful for you you and your ministry. Yep. And if you want to get in contact with Chris, uh, you can, let's see. Uh, go ahead and go to Twitter, and it's at Chris Peterson is not on social media. And you <laughs> yeah. can find him also on Instagram with the same label. It's like, Pat, just take Chris that pic and send it to me. <laughs> I'm not on. So, uh, my, whole life's ca- my whole life's counseling. Right? Why would I want to enter you, that you world? Can, you can write him a letter. Yeah, so him a if letter. you want to get in touch with Chris, you'll need to use the USPS system <laughs> and uh, write him a letter. Indeed. You can send it to Omaha Bible Church. Yeah. Uh, but in more on a more serious note, if you want to get in touch, what you can do is you could email info at omahabiblechurch.org, and it would probably get to him. So that's how Chris rolls. <laughs> that's how he reads all those pages, yep. because he's not tweeting at yeah. 2 a.m. like some people that's I know. Right. That's right. <laughs> if you want to find the Pactum online, you can do that. And you should. Thepactum.org is our website. Episodes are found there. You can find some links to find us on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, you can find us at The Pactum, and Instagram, you can find us The Pactum Theology. You can be in touch with us also on email, connect at thepactum.org. We are thankful for The Pactum Universe. That's right. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on The Pactum. The Pactum.